This podcast is brought to you by the Caesar Encyclopedia, which is my own weekly email newsletter. It's the place where I share all the cool things that I've learned throughout my week with my friends around the world. I share the books, podcasts, and interesting people I find that help me enjoy life more. And as I travel the world, I also share my favorite adventure spots, the restaurants that blow my mind, and how my view of the world has changed that week. The newsletter is completely free. It comes out only once a week, and it's only available for those who sign up by email. You can sign up using the link in this episode's show notes or by using the link in my Instagram bio. Let's get learning. Welcome to the Dose of Caesar, guys. The podcast that runs experiments, explores new ways of thinking, and talks to the most interesting people that I've met in my life. Today, I am honored to have uh, Dr. Leonard Moore from the University of Texas at Austin. Just to give a little background on who Dr. Leonard Moore is, he is the executive director of the Historically Black Colleges and Universities Initiative in the Office of the President and the George Littlefield, Littlefield Professor of American History at the University of Texas at Austin. At UT Austin, he teaches a class on black power movement and a signature course that used to be titled Race in the Age of Trump. Dr. Moore also directs study abroad programs in Beijing, China, and Cape Town, South Africa, which have become national models for diversifying global education. Professor Moore is also the author of three books on black politics. Um, Who is Dr. Moore to me? To me, Dr. Moore is the most powerful speaker and teacher I encountered during my college years. I first met Dr. Moore in the fall of 2015 while taking his class Race of the in the Age of Obama. He was the reason why I went on my first study abroad and why I went on to study abroad three more times during my college years. He opened my eyes to the importance and power of understanding different cultures. Dr. Moore, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I am honored to have you on the show. Cesar, good to see you, man. And uh, thanks for the kind words, brother. (laughs) It's a long-winded intro, but I wanted to give a proper intro. And I'm excited to talk to you so that my audience can learn more from you just as I have. And so to kick things off, I wanted, I'm curious to hear about your first experience abroad, about how old you you, were you and where did you go and what lessons did you learn from that experience? Man, actually, my first experience abroad was about seven months before I took 50 UT students to Beijing. Oh, wow. You know I mean, yeah, it was something that just was never presented, you know, you know, coming mm-hmm. from undergrad and college. And I heard people talk about doing it, but, you know, I didn't. It wasn't it wasn't that popular. And so, um, you know, I sit in my office one day and, and I got a grant opportunity came through. And he said that this is 20, 2013, 2012, 2013. President Obama wanted to get more U.S. kids studying in China because there was such an imbalance. I I would Mm. say, hypothetically, you may have 300,000 Chinese students studying in America every year. We were only sending like 30,000 over there, you know? Oh, wow. And so President Obama had what he called a 100,000 strong initiative. He wanted to get 100,000 US students to study abroad in China over like a four or five year period. And so what we did, man, we um, we applied for the grant, got it. And so the first time, man, I went, I went, I mean, I've, I've been to Mexico and Canada, but I'm not really counting that. Um, mm. so I got on a plane, man. I went to Beijing, China. I flew by myself. Wow. I got to the Beijing airport at like three in the morning. And I'm like, man, if, if these people don't come pick me up, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, <laughs> there were some signs in English, but a lot of it was in Mandarin. Mm-hmm. And so about three and 30 in the morning, man, uh, the guys pull up. We looked at each other and they probably like, well, 
it's got to be Dr. Moore. So I get in the car and go to the hotel. It didn't really hit me. I was in China until the next morning. I woke up, mm-hmm. went downstairs to get some breakfast, and I walked outside the hotel. Um, and, I, and I'm walking down the street, and I, there are two busloads of Chinese kids, school mm-hmm. bus. And I, and I just feel all these eyeballs looking at me. And next thing I know, man, I had about what, 80 kids, 40 kids on each bus, just standing up, looking at me. They wow. may never seen a black person before. And that was just the start of something amazing. So I was there by myself for about four or five days. <clears throat> One of my mm-hmm. colleagues from UT met me over there. But um, it was amazing. And, then, and so seven months later, man, you know, I took like 50 UT students. And the year after that, we launched our Cape Town program. And we've been, you know, we, we, we tried to alternate years. <clears throat> but 2018, 2019, we did both programs simultaneously. And we just launched a Dubai spring break program. Oh, um, wow. Nine days yet. And so for me, man, it was, it just, I hated that rich kids get all the opportunities. <clears throat> mm. These kids aren't smarter than anybody else. Mm-hmm. It's just that the fact where, who they were born to. Mm. And I'm like, no, man, you know, we're, we're, I want, I want everybody to get these opportunities. And last year, two years ago, we launched a 100 passports program. We we're going to take 40 to 50 inner city middle school kids um, to China, but COVID kind of knocked it out. I mean, we bought them passports mm-hmm. and everything. So that's just where, that's just, I've been hooked ever since, man. Wow. And and so when you were there, uh, you spent those five days alone. Um, what were your thoughts? What were you thinking? Like, were you thinking this is going to be a, a super enriching experience for for the kids or what were your thoughts? Like, because these- Basically, I was like, man, this, this is a great experience for me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because like you said, the language is not really an issue. You know what I'm mm. saying? You know, yeah. a subway card, found out how to get around on the, you know, on the subway, and found out how to eat and all that kind of stuff. It was just, I mean, the people are very, the people are awesome in China. People are friendly. The people are nice. You know, so, so it's a sort of a public transportation slash walking culture. And I was like, no, nah, man, students got to come and see this. And so my philosophy was, if I'm dealing with a lot of black and brown students, okay, mm-hmm. first generation students, I want to take them to the countries that Americans don't go to. Because oh. after you've been to Beijing, China, and I don't know if you went, did we take the train to Shanghai when you went with us? Or yes, I think we did. You know, after you've done that, and then you followed up with going to Cape Town, South Africa, man, you can do Paris or Barcelona yes. or London in your sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's, you're right, because it's, 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 as, it's as different as it's going to get, you know? Because what, one of the things about China, China was that uh, what I found was that Chinese people thought were just cared about themselves, kind of like Ameri- Americans did, where like they thought they were the center of the world mm-hmm. and you're going to speak our language and stuff. Right. right yeah. um, I wanted to ask you, you know, we're talking about st- your study abroad programs and they became models for other universities. I mean, they're, they're nationally, they've won awards nationally. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in hearing like, so you went on your own um, to China, but what what's like the Genesis story? What made you think um, I need to I need to create a study abroad program? Because I know you you wanted to give experiences um, that rich kids had to like not kids that weren't rich, but what's because it? I understood, man, that we spent a lot of time. When I did you know work and I partnered with admissions, we spent a lot of time man making sure first gen students get in, black students, brown students. Mm-hmm. Even poor white kids, you know, we spent a lot of time on getting them in, right? Mm-hmm. And we spent a lot of time getting them out, support programs. But nobody ever talks about 
what the quality of the experience is like while they are there. And I, I, I'll do mm -hmm. a lot of other kids, second and third generation college students, parents went to UT, they know the hidden curriculum, okay? They know what classes to take. They know what professors to avoid. Hell, if you've never gone to college before and they tell you, well, you got to take an Econ 101 class, you look in the book, you got 40 sections. Mm. And you'd be like, well, I'm not a morning person. I'll just take the section at one o'clock. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But everybody else knows you don't take that, Professor. <laughs> they know you don't have to take Econ 101. You can take another class that substitutes for it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But when you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. And so a lot of our kids were coming, man, and going home over the summer, working at Academy Sports and Whataburger. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They take a class at the community college. And then, and they were, then they was like, they finish at UT, don't have any job offers. But, but these other people, summer had been studying abroad, had been going to work on Wall Street, going to work on Capitol Hill. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And so that's why you got a black or brown kid who finished in McCombs with a 3.4, or maybe a white kid who finished with a 2.6, but the white kid got job offers and the black and brown kid like, what's up? No? Yeah, yeah. It's because nobody ever taught them the game. And so I understood, Cesar, that wealthier students would come to campus with more built-in advantages. Okay, for instance, wealthier kids living a block away on West Campus, lower-income kids living way down off Riverside, all right? Hmm. And even further out now. And so I was like, man, okay, how can I come up with a way to, to not level the playing field? We, we, got, we, got, to, we got to talk this stuff. Stop talking about equity and leveling the pain. How do I come up with a way to give those students an advantage? Mm. They're trying to be equal. No, I'm trying to get them to be better than. Right? Yeah. And I knew if you take kids from the valley, you take kids from the inner city, a poor, a poor white kid from Texarkana, if you got them some global experience, because here's the deal, those kind of kids adjust better abroad. You know why? Because mm. they've been adjusting their whole life. Mm. But you take a, 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 a an elite kid mm -hmm. who's been in an all-white setting from birth, when they go abroad, they can't function. Mm. They, can't, they don't know, they, you gotta hold it, they can't function, whereas these other kids be like, shit, hell, I had to adapt coming to UD. You see what I'm saying? I yeah. know what it's like to be in an environment where I'm in the minority. And so that's why, man, those black and brown kids abroad, and they hit the ground running after one day. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. That's, um, I mean, you're, you're so right because it's, uh, these kids have been, been adapting their whole lives because they've been going against the grain their whole lives. Like Absolutely. they're, yeah. And so I have white kids now who take my classes who are upset at their parents for having them in all white environments their whole life because they can't, mm -hmm. they can't adjust. They can't yeah. adjust. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Um, and so, you know, you, I, I feel you include everyone, not just minorities as well, which is, I, I think you, you, you're just educating everybody when we're at school. Um, how do you choose? It's, it, how do you choose what students go um, to your study abroad programs? Well, man, I think it's, um, I mean, one of my biggest issues is I want to give everybody an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I realize while that's good, sometimes it's better to 
you know, have some kind of selection process. So, yeah, you know, for a while we were admitting everybody, but then the applications became so overwhelming. Mm. We had to have a criteria. And so it's, it's basic. I tell students, go to a couple info sessions. And if you go to the info session, we'll tell you what to write in a little personal statement. The personal statement is one paragraph. And my thing is, if you can't even go to an info session and articulate in the paragraph what we want to see, mm. then you ain't coming. Because that's that's not asking a lot. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just asked them how, how we're going to Cape Town or Beijing further your career. Mm. And people put stuff like, well, it'll be a great way to spend the summer. Um, I always wanted to go out the country. Well, no, that ain't the right answer. Hell, you can go on Google and, and figure something out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So our application process was, was, it was very, it was very low, low, uh, low bar. Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned before, I read Dr. Liu's study on, titled Coloring Study Abroad. And, and I told you the one of the biggest things is that people, minorities typically study abroad when they have a professor that they really trust. Mm -hmm you know, because they feel like they associate them kind of as a family member, somebody who they can trust while they're abroad. Um, is this something that you were aware of and that you kind of, um, you put an extra effort to be that person for certain students or for all students, well, or is just, it just, I just love students, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, you know, I think people try to limit my impact by saying, oh, it's just black or brown things. No, I, I, I taught a lot of students. Yeah. Of color. Yeah. And so for me, man, it was, um, I knew that people really didn't pick us. Some people may pick a study abroad program based on a location, but think about this now. If you're going mm -hmm. abroad, A is like, okay, who, who are you going with? All right. Mm. So I think not only was it Dr. Moore, their favorite professor leading the program, yeah. but it's all the other students who were going. So you may want to go to, I would just say Barcelona, Mm -hmm. But you go to the info session, you don't know none of them people. You don't even know the professor. Wow. So I ain't, ain't going to go spend six weeks with them. I think people saw that we were community. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And that's what I saw. What advice would you have for um, professors at other universities who want to lead study abroad programs? Because you were, you really created this community and you, you genuinely cared about students regardless of race. I mean, it was all white, white people, Latinos, black kids, we all loved you. And what advice do you give to uh, professors who want to do something similar in their, their university? Well, first of all, I think it got to be something innate in you. You know what I'm saying? You can't do this as a way of beefing up your resume or something like that. Mm. Um, and so I actually take the opposite perspective. I tell study abroad directors, study abroad deans and stuff like that, directors, go find the most popular professors on campus mm. and, and ask them to do a study abroad trip. Mm. But the way it happens in most places that faculty have to apply. You know, there are some professors, man, not only would I not go to Beijing with them, I wouldn't go to Beaumont, Texas with them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I see. So, so you tell them to just choose their, their most popular professor because that's, I mean, that is, I think that's a, that's a very good way because the students are going to follow that. Exactly. But you know, you don't want to go abroad with somebody who's boring and who's rigid. A colleague of mine took some students, I think, to Ghana. And you know, she made them call. She made them check in every night at nine o'clock with a phone call to her. I'm not doing that. 
You know what I mean? Like, mm, yeah. And I think when you go with students who know you, they know what the expectations are. And so of those 400 students we've taken abroad, we haven't had a single issue of discipline. We haven't had a single disciplinary problem. Mm. Um, I wanted to talk about one of the, I think the most important part or the most special part about your study abroad. With each study abroad I went on South Africa and China, you had some sort of real work experience attached to it. I built a website in South Africa and I taught English in China. How did you know that that was so important? Because I think that's, I went on a few other study abroads and they weren't the same, you know? Because I understood that you know, you're asking people to pay this money. They have to see how it connects with their job, long-term job prospects. Mm. And so just saying exposure, that ain't, that ain't enough for a lot of parents. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so when we begin to sell this community-based internship, whether it's teaching English in China or, you know, something more specific in uh, South Africa, mm-hmm. A, parents buy into it. But number two, Cesar, now the kid can put that experience on their resume. And so what I tell students, you know, on your resume, don't put study abroad. The first section said global experience. Yeah. And in your situation, it'd be like a English middle school teacher at, um, you know, a Dandelion School. Yeah. Or, you know what I'm saying, worked, mm-hmm. uh, worked in IT in South Africa. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that, that employers see that resonates with them. So that was very important to me. Wow. I mean, you're really doing, cause we're not paying all that. We're not paying all that money just to go take a class. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, Dr. Moore, you're really doing students such a big favor because I wasn't even aware. I mean, like I said, I kind of blindly followed you to South Africa, you know, just, just wanting to go to South Africa, but you right. did, did me such a favor by putting me into an internship. Cause yeah. by the, when I, when I got, wanted to go get a job, it was, it was so easy because people were like, wow, you'd build a website in South Africa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So thank you for that. Um, I want to ask what, what do you hope uh, that all your study abroad students like go on to do with their experiences that you've given them? What's your the hope? The thing I want them to do, man, is to realize that their, their, their job prospects or what they love to do or how they want to make a living. It's not limited to the U S man. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people, you know, I've been on that, Emirates flight nonstop from Houston to Dubai a couple times. Mm. It's just a you just a plane ride away. <laughs> really are. I mean, I'm like, go work in Dubai. If there's an emergency, you can get a flight that day and be home within 16 hours. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? And so, yeah. and so hopefully, man, I'm trying to get them to understand that the world is not as big as they think. It's about man shrinking. It's about shrinking the globe. We were in Beijing, 2017, I believe, 16, 17. But anyway, mm-hmm. and, I, and so my wife had a family member die. So we were in Beijing. She got notified that family member died. So my wife got a flight, flew from Beijing to San Francisco for the funeral, came back to Beijing, and I could tell the death was kind of emotional on her. So I told Doctor Lou, I said, you know what, man. You know, me and my family have been to Beijing three or four times already. We need, we need just a family. We need, we need like a four-day getaway. Hmm. We went to Sydney, Australia for five days. From That's Beijing. right. That's right. I remember that was my year. I said, Dr. Lewis said, we'll be back, man, but my wife needs this. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But I remind people, man, it's just an airplane ride away. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. 
I mean, that's one of the things it did for me. I realized I was in a bubble. The world wasn't that big as I thought it was. And like, there's so many people out there like, um, absolutely, absolutely. but the world at the same time, even though there's so many people, it's, it's, I felt when I was in Thailand or Cuba, I, I felt like I, I would tell my mom, mom, I don't really feel like I'm that far from home. Absolutely. Like, I feel like I'm kind of like at UT or something like that. I don't, cause you could be home in a day. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, mom, like I'll call you every once in a while, but like, it's cause I'm having experiences. <laughs> I'm living out here. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you the, the 2017, you said you had one continent left to explore. Have you gone to all seven already? No, we, we still haven't hit Antarctica, man. Damn. My wife said black folk don't go down there. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's the one, man. We, we really want to hit it. So, but it's just so expensive, you know, it, yeah. like $7,000. You only stay for like a day or something like that. So we'll see, man. Oh, you have to, Dr. Moore. You you have to. Damn. <laughs> I, um, on, you know, what would you tell kids who um, whose parents aren't supportive of them going abroad? Because, I yeah. I've had those conversations with parents. And, mm-hmm. the, and the big thing, parents just don't know. Mm-hmm. And I remind parents, I'd be like, you know, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. I'd be like, hey, you have done a great job raising your daughter. Phenomenal job. She's at UT. Mm-hmm. We just trying to put her, we just trying to put her in another dimension. All right. Mm-hmm. She'll be gone four weeks. And what I tell them is, because they're worried about safety. That's what it is. You know, yeah. once we get over there, it's safety. I say, I'd be like, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so. You know, I'll send him a picture. Me and my family will be there. And I tell him, I would never take your kid anywhere. That was unsafe for my own children. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it is, man. It's just fear. And yeah. And then I have to remind him too. I'll be like, now, you know, mom, you know, when you went to college, you know, it was about going and just getting a job coming out. I say things are a lot more competitive now. And I say, it's not about your daughter just getting any job. It's about your job, your daughter having options. You know what I mean? Mm. If she can get the job she wants, she can work for a supervisor who supports her. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And so it's just, it's just typically a 15 minute conversation with parents and I got. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And and uh, I guess uh, moving on a little bit from study abroad, um, I did want to talk about this. You know that lesson that I brought up earlier. Um, one of the, you give so many good lessons in your class. Um, uh, do you still teach the, the, the race in the age of, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the lessons I learned from you is, is, is kind of, um, follow, love what you do and, and make, and do good work, do good work was the big thing, do good work and the money has to follow. And I wanted to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Why do you, when did you, you pick up that belief? Well, man, so basically when I got to college, man, I was uh, Education major, wanted to be a teacher. Uh, but no, so education major, I didn't know what else to major in. And I remember sitting there like the first week of the semester and said, this is BS. And so I went and changed my major to history. Yeah. Right now, so understand, man, when you when you black and go to college, you tell people you're a history major, the, the, the first question you get is, what you going to do with that? Mm. And I always said, I have no idea, but these are the only courses I like. Mm. I like. And so my fear was, I think when you are taking courses you like and mm-hmm. you are taking courses with your favorite professors, it brings you to life, man. There is yes. something there yes. that you just can't explain. 
And I was just crazy enough to believe, man, that it would all work out. So even though I've had some fancy titles mm-hmm. at my core, Cesar, I'm a black history teacher. That's, that's it. Wow. That's it. At my core, that is what I am. Nothing else. Nothing else. And I like saying teacher more than professor. I'm a black history teacher. That is what I do. Mm. <laughs> wow. Wow. And, and because here's the thing, man. I've never looked at a clock. I've been teaching, what, 24 years? Yes. I've, I've, I've never, I have never worked a day in my life. The only time I've worked when I was in that VP role. And I'm like, this stuff is crazy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it wasn't what you loved. It wasn't like the. Nah, I mean, you do it because you can make impact. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But man, you know, I didn't like having a muzzle because, you know, when you're in a role like that, although yes. you have academic freedom as a professor, whatever you say, it's as if you're speaking for the universe. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you know, I was in some kind of administrative role for 14 years, but now, man, you know, I'm just running this HBCU initiative. So I just want to inspire other people, man. And here's the deal, Cesar. Like you said, I've seen too much. You've seen too much, Dr. Martin. <laughs> what you love and hell, we will figure it out. You know yes. what I'm saying? Yes. No, we will figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that because of, but I think, but I think the system is propped up by scaring people. Oh yeah. You know, there is. You read mm-hmm. that book by Seth Golden and, and the system wants everybody to be a replaceable cog in a machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what they want you to get on that, get on that factory line, right? It could be at Google, Amazon, wherever, be a factory worker, sit at that cubicle, put your head down and wait till I come pick you for a promotion. But you're miserable. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, it's interesting you bring up Seth Godin because I don't know if you've read his book, uh, uh, the purple cow. Uh, I've seen it. I haven't read it. I feel like the purple cow, the the idea of the book is that, uh, you know, when you're driving in the countryside, you see a lot of cows. And maybe if you haven't seen a cow before, you're like, wow, look a cow. But after a while, after 15 minutes of seeing a thousand of cows, you get bored. And so every other cow is just whatever. You know, it's, it's just another cow. But if you see a purple cow, you know, it's like, wow, something completely different. So the idea of the book is that if you want to succeed in business, if you want to succeed in anything, you have That's to right. be the purple cow. And people, and Cesar students were laughing at me when I told them, if you're going to a business school fair in Macombs, yeah. show up in a Darth Vader outfit. <laughs> or show up like Wonder Woman. Yes. You have yes. nothing to lose. You don't. I, you, you, you have only to gain. By being so, so different. Imagine, imagine if you work for Cisco and you got to do one of those career fairs. First of all, you don't want to do it because you're bored as hell. Hmm. And you're sitting there, you're staying at resumes all day. Wouldn't you be excited if you see somebody getting in the back of the line dressed like Darth Vader? <laughs> yeah, you'd be interested at, at the very least. You'd be like, what's going on? Who's right. this guy? That's right. Who's this guy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, uh, are there any books that you think should be required reading for all um, uh, college people in college or just young people? Lynchpin. Lynchpin? Oh yeah. By Seth Godin. Lynchpin by Seth Godin. I'm going to write that down. Here's what I try to to tell people. You know, when you've been interviewed, flip the interview. You know what I'm saying? Flip the interview. Ask the questions. You have to decide, is this the place for me to work? Yes. And so we come at it from this vantage point of, are y'all hiring? Do you have any openings? And I tell college students, whatever industry you want to go into, 
study the industry, come up with a way to solve a problem. So for instance, I may have told you this before. A lot of people want to work at ESPN, Disney, go to the office post-COVID and show up with a solution. Just say, you know what, I've been studying this industry for the last six months. And I think I have a way where I can help ESPN increase ad revenue by 25% over the next quarter. What are they going to say? They're not going to turn you away. Yeah. They, they may say, okay, email this person. Email say, I, I, my thing is, you got to show up with a solution. Mm. That When they say how, that's your interview. Mm. Find out what the industry's problem is. Find out what it is. When I was in my VP role, I had a strong desire, man. I was trying to find somebody to help more, who could help more black and Latino kids get in medical school. Mm. If somebody would have showed up with a solution, I'd be like, okay, when can you start? And how much, what kind of salary? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's being, that's being, that's what nobody does that, which is like, you, you become the purple cow, you know, you become unique. It's kind of like, I need this guy. You know why? Because people crave, but the system taught what you to crave acceptance and affirmation. Mm. And yeah. Ava DuVernay, film writer, she says, when you are in your lane, there is no traffic. Mm. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Moore, I wanted to switch gears a little bit because you, you know, besides all the experience I got from studying abroad, you also gave me an incredible network. And, and so with your two study abroads, I have over a hundred people I studied abroad with and, and, you know, preparing for this interview, I reached out to as many of them as I could. And I asked them, what, what question do you want to ask Dr. Moore that you think a lot of students would get? Uh, at a, would, would get a lot from. And so one student, uh, I want to ask you, there's a few questions that I have that could be rapid fire. And one student, um, she's about to become a lawyer. Um, and she just got, she just got her job offer, but she wanted to hear, um, your, you talk more on the importance of embracing your failures, because she said that one of the things that stuck out to her about you is that you always owned your quote unquote failures because she said whether their failures indeed is up to debate, but she always thought about that while she was in law school. And she thinks that it's important for kids to know that it's okay not to be the star student and you can still be successful. So why don't you hear your thoughts on failure? Well, sometimes you embrace your failures because you ain't got no choice, you know, mm. <laughs> yeah. but I am, I'm, I am not, um, now, let me, I will say this. I haven't taken too many L's since I've been a professional. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Okay. Right? Um, and so for me, man, you know, coming out of high school at 1.6 GPA, mm. ACT, 720 SAT, um, you know, going to Jackson State, open admissions. Mm. Um, I've never, I've, I've been, pr- I've always been proud of that because I knew that, that, that did not measure my intelligence. It did not measure my ability to earn a living. Hmm. I just wasn't a good student because the classes were boring. (laughs) (laughs) And SAT and ACT never made any sense to me. None. Hmm. It was stupid. Yeah. And so for me, man, but but the problem is you got a lot of kids at UT who've been the top their entire life. And so my thing, and so I think they were sold a bill of goods. So what you were top 5%, who cares? So what you got a 1500 SAT, who can, you know, I tell somebody the difference between a 1500 SAT and a 1400 may be five questions. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. And so I think sometimes these high academic performers, we give them a false sense of superiority 
Because it's like, no, you just have the best grades and that means nothing. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And, and so I would tell this attorney, you know, all you got to do is pass the bar. Don't compare yourself to anybody. Don't think you're better than um, law student X because you went to this law school. Because when you get in the courtroom, don't none of that stuff matter. Hmm. Can you deliver? Can yeah. you show up? And can you deliver? And so a lot of, and that's why I tell UT students, it was good for some of y'all to flunk a class. Yeah. <laughs> you realize it's not the end of the world. You just flunk a class and it's okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that, so I, I got to share that. Man. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember you telling us you're at UT, but who cares? <laughs> Yeah, like you're not you're no different than the the kid going down to like the community college or whatever. Like you were, right. I, I remember y'all all go end up you all go end up in the same place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, Doctor Moore. Uh, another question um, from an artist. He's an artist now, and he's a founder of a media company focusing on the arts. He wanted to know uh, what do you think is the significance of maximizing the ages, uh, your ages eighteen to twenty six. Oh man, you got to get it. I mean, I call that my eight for 40 rule. You're eight for 40 years after high school, man. Eight years after high school, you got to get in the cut. You know, you're probably not married. You probably have no kids. That is the time where you can really, really grind. Let's say I want to start. Let's say I want to start a business. I'll go to college four years. And college, college is important for socialization. You know, a good transition to adulthood. You go Mm -hmm. to college four years. And I tell people, you want to start that restaurant or whatever it is? Get in the cut for four years. Four years. Say, I'm a every my wait every hour. I'm gonna work on this business for four years, and I guarantee you, you by, by the end of your, by the year in by the end of year four, you'll start to see some progress. But man, we can't waste them years, man. Mm. We gotta get it because my thing is, if I grind for eighty of those eight, I'm gonna relax for the next forty. And then, and and that seems to have been true for you. No, but not not that you've relaxing, but like you're you're where you want to be. Man, I got so many entrepreneurial projects now. You know, we've la- we're launching an internet sports TV show beginning uh, March 24th called Fourth and Just Us. And me, a woman from ESPN, and another guy, Kevin Anderson. So I'm just doing a lot of stuff I've written. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I wrote a, a screenplay last year. Wow. That we hope to, we'll start filming hopefully later this summer. You see what I'm saying? Oh, wow, man. Yeah, so man, life is good, man. But it's amazing, Doctor. I've seen too much. <laughs> you just gotta put yourself out there and like yeah. the purple cow. Hey, yeah, I am willing to be criticized, but here, but here it is. And my friend has a quote he calls, he always talks about stay in the deep end of the pool. Mm. When you're in the deep end of the pool, the only people who are gonna laugh at you are the people who are at the shallow end. Yeah. Yeah. The other people in the deep end, they've been there, they're gonna help you. So, man, we got to stop allowing people who have never done anything dynamic in their life. We got to stop allowing their opinions to control us. Mm. And that's what we do. You're like, like, man, really? You going to critique me? You've been at that same job for 25 years. You hate it. You haven't made an impact. Zero impact in life. And you're going to critique me for trying to do something on my own? Man, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Um. That was, that was awesome. The next question comes from um, a, a writer. He's a writer now. He does freelance writing for a lot of major publications. And he wanted to know what your thoughts are on the mass burnout college kids and young people in general are facing. What are your thoughts? It's, it's, their parent, it's partly their parents' fault. Hmm. Um, 
because our parents don't understand the new economy. The new economy is not about grades. I can take somebody, Cesar, with a 2.0 GPA. They barely finished college. But if I get them to Beijing and Cape Town and Dubai, can you imagine if those three things on their resume, the GPA won't even, it won't even be a topic of conversation. Yeah, <laughs> it won't. And so I tell people, I don't, grades don't matter anymore. Mm. And I got to be careful when I tell people that because they, they run to the extreme with it. I'm like, they don't matter. I have never hired anybody. To them. I've never hired anybody based upon where they went to school or what their grades were. Mm. Never. Mm. I've hired people on based on what were their experiences. Wow. I'll give one, one example. And I wish I could have hired this lady. I was invited to speak at a Black Lives Matter. It was like a Black Lives Matter community conversation mm-hmm. in Bastrop, Texas. All right. Yeah. It was no, it was in Bastrop County. So I'm thinking it's like in the city of Bastrop. I look at the GPS. No, it was like 40 minutes outside <laughs> Bastrop City, but still in the county. Wow. Man, where the hell am I at? It was in the All right. I get there. The, art, the, the, the gymnasium is full. Like 100 white people, 100 black people. This is in rural Texas. And I'm like, who did this? It was a young African-American woman who used to live in Atlanta, but she moved back home. And here's my point. If she can do that in rural Bastrop County, you got a hundred white people out there coming to a Black Lives Matter conference. My thing is, how can I hire you and how much money you want? That's how I hire people. Because it's in, in, where they went to school. Who cares where you went to school? Like? Yeah. You base it on what they can do. Right. And what they have done. And what they have done. Right. That's amazing. Here's what I tell students. But, you know, they love, they love being in all these student organizations. I said, mm-hmm. what's more impressive to me, if that matters, is mm-hmm. not you being in seven or eight organizations. That ain't impressive. Show me how you involved in one organization and how your increased involvement over time. Maybe you end up being president or something like that. That's more impressive to me because it shows me you know how to stick to something. And it shows me you have the patience to put an infrastructure in place and watch something grow. Yeah. Depth, the depth, it's about the depth, right? Of something. Um, and so, you know, you, 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 it's interesting because I, I did figure out early on in college that grades don't matter, but what do you tell someone who is a, let's say a junior in college and they're still focusing so heavily on their grades, but they have no um, life experience. What do you tell them? Here's what I asked them. Okay. You know, what is it? What do you, what do you, where are you trying to get at? That's what I asked them. You know, wh- where are you trying to go? Mm-hmm. What industry you want to be in? And I'll tell them, okay, if you're a junior, your GPA is really not going to move. I'm just being honest. It ain't going to move. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Once yeah. you get about 60, 70, 80 credit hours, your GPA is pretty much, you know, going to be within certain parameters because they stretch the grades because they've been told they need grades to achieve X. Mm-hmm. You don't need grades to achieve that. You need courage. You need to, you need, you need to, you have to be willing to fail. You have to be willing to be embarrassed. Hmm. That's what you need to achieve X. You know what I'm saying? Dude, this post pandemic economy that nobody's talking about, hmm. there are millions of jobs that will never come back. Yeah. All these office buildings, man, that whole commercial real estate business in the can. You know why? 
because companies have realized, why am I paying all this exorbitant office space when people can work from home? They're happier. Yeah. They're saving money. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. nobody's talking about the post-pandemic economy. Hmm. That's what PPE means to me, the post-pandemic economy. <laughs> How the is going to look different? Yeah. And on that note, um, what do you, you know, cause I, I talked to an educator, one of our past uh, students and she, she, she wanted to hear what your perspective is on the future of higher education post COVID. It's, it's higher ed as we know it is, is, is on, uh, is on life support. Wow. People are not going to pay this crazy amount of money. All right. Mm-hmm. To take classes by zoom. Let me tell you this. We've been doing zoom now. This is what the third semester. Wow. We did it spring 20. Fall 20, spring 21. And guess what? The classroom's only going to be half full in the in fall of 21. So this, this is the new medium. Here's the deal, Cesar. I never have to walk into a college classroom again to teach my students. Never. Hmm. Never. And so I, think, I think the college experience is changing, but a lot of my colleagues don't believe it. And I'm like, no, you got to adapt or die. Here's the crazy thing. I'm thinking about my study abroad programs. I'm thinking about completely disconnecting them from the university. Completely disconnecting. Wow. If we took, what year did you go to Cape Town? 2016. I think we took like 60 students. We took 82 students in 2018. Wow. Here's what I'm thinking. If I could take 62 students from one campus to Cape Town, listen, follow me where I'm going. <laughs> I see where you're going. I like it. <laughs> one campus. <laughs> what if I opened up to, entire, to the entire world? Wow. To the entire country, you know? Or yeah, to the entire world, yeah. Because everybody across the globe is fascinated about the racial context of the U.S. So now you got kids coming from Asia to Cape Town to be taught by a black professor, right? Mm. About the similarities between the U.S. and South Africa. So you see what I'm saying, man? Yeah. If I took 62 from one campus, one campus. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. Dr. Moore, you should do it. You got to do it. I've seen too much. Thank you. You've seen too much. I'm, I'm, I'm going to use your quote. I've seen too much. <laughs> You've seen too much. <laughs> How much money I've made the University of Texas through all those programs. Mm. Yeah. Our programs funded two full-time people in the study abroad office. Two. Wow. Yeah, you're 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 the biggest programs in there yeah. for for good reason. You know, they're not. It's not just hype. It's they're incredible. They're life changing. Um, got about five more minutes, Cesar. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and so I guess just to finish it off. Yeah, thank you so much, Doctor Mark. Um, I to finish it off. I, I guess last question would be if I think you've already given a lot of advice to um, to the college students. Um, but I wanted to get like, I, I guess one last piece of personal advice, perhaps if, if you could talk to yourself when you were a freshman in college, mm-hmm. what advice would you give yourself? And I think, you know, I, I asked, I ask you such a personal question because I think it'll translate to other people who are in similar situations. Um, understand that you were born qualified. So number one, you were born qualified. And number two, a lot of these people you see with these big titles are not that smart. Hmm. they're not innovative they're not creative they can't solve problems and it's like how the hell did you get in this position you know what I'm saying yeah Yeah. 
So that's gotcha. that's the biggest advice that I have, man. You are you are born qualified, and 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 we are no longer in the age of the gatekeeper. You know, so for instance, the the, the film I wrote, um, they got to do some revision. I think it's pretty good. You know, I'll I'll probably pay an established screenwriter ten thousand hmm. dollars just to tighten it up for me. But after that, man, guess what? I'm going to look for a director. I'm going to look for a director. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's it's that easy. Mm. <laughs> you got people making films on iPhones, man. Yeah. So that's yeah, so that's my advice, man. No, that's great. Dr. Moore, thank you so much. I'm honored. Thank you, man to after four years uh, to talk to you you've really truly changed my life and and i just want to thank you in person and i hope one day we uh get to sit down and just talk and, and have a dinner or something you know that'd be incredible you now, i'm in austin i'm in austin oh, now man, man, text me go to lunch man okay all right yeah yeah right. Uh, dr Moore, uh, if people want to reach you or if they want to find more of your work do they just where would they go online you know, i tell people just email me man you know, gotcha leonard more at nail.utext that edu People Sounds laugh at me for not, you know, I got a Twitter presence, but people, I'm like, I don't even know what a DM is. I was on a program once with these sports entertainment lawyers and, and the, the host said, okay, you know, how can we follow you? And they went around and said, well, you probably can't follow me. You can send me an email. And I said, I know email is old fashioned to y'all, but the people who pay me, the people who pay me big money, they use email. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So what was you like, you get back, you go, you have a class in Macomb's and you're in there with all these white kids. Uh-huh. Did, did at a certain point, did it hit you that, man, these people ain't been nowhere. They can't compete with me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, no, I'm gonna be honest. No, I don't know. It, it wasn't like that. Like, I didn't think that. What I thought was, really what I thought was, I'm not under anybody. That's that's right. That's right. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not under anybody, but I, I didn't think I was above anybody, but also sometimes I would see kids, um, people walk around like, Oh, I just got a consulting job. I, I you know, uh-huh. and I'm just like, who cares? <laughs> like, who cares? Is that really what you want to do? Cause if it is, then good for you. I respect that. <laughs> but if it's not, if it's, if it's not what you're, one passionate about something that you're going to be world-class in and, and something that you truly love. Mm-hmm. Then I, I, I don't, I don't know if you figure you haven't figured it out. You're kind of bullshitting me and you're, bullsh- you're bullshitting the world. That's right. And um, even though I was a little lost, I knew that I was doing uncommon things because I was trying to figure out what I, what my place was in this world. Awesome. And, and when, when people, I'll tell you what, Dr. Moore, when people would question me, cause I got questioned a lot and people would tell me, you can't go study abroad four times. You can't do this. Caesar, Caesar, why are you doing this? Like, stop. You need to get a job right now. <laughs> I'd be like, I had the confidence to be like, no, man, I've seen too much. <laughs> like Thank I've you. seen too much. Thank you. And, and I had, you know, you specifically Dr. Moore in your class, I remember one of the lectures you said, follow, like follow the, what excites you, the art that excites you and do good work. And the money has to follow. And I've always kind of kept that in the back of my head, but, but you know, it's interesting when a lot of people doubt you and there's nobody but yourself, you have to be the one to be like, I, I got this. Like you said, man, you've seen too much. I've seen too much. I've seen too much. (laughs) (laughs) Hey there. If you enjoyed this episode, well, 
green light. New episodes of The Dose of Caesar come out every week, so make sure to follow and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. If you feel that more people should listen to this podcast and share this episode with your tribe. If you want to connect with me, or if you just want some extra doses of Cesar, of Caesar, of Cesarin Bingui, then you can sign up for my free weekly email newsletter called The Caesar Encyclopedia, where I share what I learn every week. Or you can reach out to me on Instagram at the dose of Caesar. We'll see you next time.